Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Our words are powerful. They have the power to build up and they have the power to tear down. Godly words will remind us of our identity, heal us from our past, and set us on a trajectory towards the will of God. Ungodly words lie, imprison, and destroy. Your words will leave a legacy or they will lead to ruin. This series will unleash you to speak life into a very broken world. Enjoy the message. Your words are powerful. Your words can literally build somebody up or rip somebody down. Godly words are, is what meant is to come out of our mouths if you're a Christian. Godly words remind us of our identity. They'll heal us from our past. They'll set us on a trajectory towards God's will. But ungodly words, they will lie to us. They will imprison us. They will get stuck in our head. They'll divide. They will destroy. Your words will leave a legacy whether you know it or not. Your words, no matter who you are, are powerful, and they're setting the trajectory of your life and other people's lives. And so today, as we kick off the series, we're going to talk about how your words matter. How your words matter. We'll eventually get into Ephesians uh, chapter 4 today. About, I, how many of you are like, man, somebody in my life needs to hear this series, right? Somebody in my life needs to hear the weight of the word series. I'm thinking of it right now. And you're right. There are probably people that have said things to you. They're constantly saying things to you. And it's in your mind this morning like they need to hear this message. I am going to give them the link when I'm out of here today, right? But you know what? It's, yes, there's probably people in your life that need to hear this series, but you need to hear this series. I need to hear this series. We all have a problem with our mouth. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got a problem with your mouth, all right? And then you respond to them, but you got a problem with your mouth too, right? We need to remind ourselves of this, that we have a problem with our mouth. If anyone's alive, this series is so vitally important for you. Now, when I was in Bible college, um, I went to chapel every single day. We were required. We had to sign in, right? And we heard a message every single day, a, a, a sermon every single day, uh, Monday through Friday. And at the time, I was like, oh, I've got to go to chapel again. If I can only go back in time and say, Andy, you're never going to have a moment where you have world-class pastors coming in, opening up God's word, and just letting you have it. Like, it, it, looking back, it was an absolute amazing moment in my life. Every Wednesday, though, we'd have the president. It was called the President's Chapel. His name was Dr. Haug. Uh, the President's Chapel, and he was passionate. He wanted to see the students carry the word of God into the mission of the world with the word of the world well, was, that was the tagline of the school. And he would stand at the edge of the stage. You'd think that he would fall off that stage. Uh, he, would, he would come out of his mouth and would put you at the edge of your seat. And my roommate and I, we had this idea. We're like, how awesome would it be if we can invite him to our dorm room, Right? Our dorm room, where this is before podcasts, okay? So we want to have our personal podcast, right? Retrospectively, we can call it that. Uh, well, we can invite him into our dorm room. We, he can give us a sermon in our dorm room, and he can, we can do Q&A, and we'll invite people into the dorm, into our dorm room to hear him. People are like, oh, he'll never do that. Well, we asked him, and we asked him, and finally, he said yes. And so in the middle of the day, in his three-piece suit and a tie, uh, the president of the Bible college came into our dorm room, sat at my desk, we crammed the room with, with the guys of, of, of our dorm, and we listened to him give the word. And then he began to do Q&A. And it, you could tell that he lived a life that was just amazing. He was a pastor previous to being a president of the college. But then someone asked the question, did anybody ever hurt you? And he paused. And he said, in my pastorate before this, I worked with a person 
that I will call the erased deacon. The erased deacon? Let me explain to you, he said. He'd talk like this. Let me explain to you what the erased deacon was. I'm like, what's the erased deacon? He's like, every time I'd have a meeting with him, he'd say something hurtful. He'd say, oh, your sermon was boring, or your sermon didn't engage, or your sermon should have done this or that. And then he would realize he was being mean. He'd say, oh, I'm sorry I said that. Erase it. Or he would give me tips on, on how to you know, manage my family. And then he would realize that he was going over the line. He'd say, oh, I'm sorry. Erase it. Or, or there'd be times I'd find that he was gossiping to the other, other people in the church about me, and then I would catch wind of it, or people would out him, and he would realize, oh, I've been gossiping. Hey, I'm sorry about that. Erase it. He was the erased deacon. Okay, I understand what you're saying now, right? He's like, but I want you to know something. Saddle up alongside me. Yes, he would say that. He's like, I want you to understand this. He's like, yes, yes, Dr. Howe, what? Your words can never be erased. I'm hearing that like it's just yesterday. It was over 20-some years ago. Your words have power, and they can build up or they can tear down, and they will be remembered for a lifetime. There is that old phrase, as Brandon said, sticks or stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. People say it like it's from the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's not biblical at all. In fact, this is what is biblical. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's our main idea this morning. You have no idea. You have no idea how powerful your words are to build someone up or tear someone down. Your words are influencing somebody for the good or for the bad. Now, why do words have such weight? You might think that your words are insignificant. I mean, we live in a words of uh, we live in a plethora of words. People are blogging. People are online saying what they want about whatever they want to say. Words are cheap today, but yet I want you to know, even though they may be cheap, meaning you can give as many words on a subject that you want, they it has immense weight. Just think about it. You may remember, perhaps, when you got on one knee, gentlemen. And you asked your spouse to marry you, and they said yes. Maybe some said no. It's weighty. Maybe you remember when you got a promotion at work, and, and your boss said, I believe in you, and I want you to do this next big thing for the organization. Or maybe you were told by a mentor, they put their hands on your shoulder, and they said, I believe in you. Or maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you didn't get the job. Maybe you remember that day when that significant other broke up with you and they said words that even resonate in your heart to this day. Maybe you remember a hurtful word from a friend and they're saying, I'm being a friend, but I, I, I say this in love. By the way, when you say, I say this in love, nobody ever stopped. I'm not, oh, now that you said that, I'm not going to brace for it. You know, oh, that was okay. I, I, I understand. No, when you say, I say this in love or, you know, no offense, all right, uh, you're not going to say it in love probably and you're going to probably say it offensive. And you remember that. Why? Because words have weight. You remember maybe growing up and your parent said something that was so hurtful to you. Maybe they said that you would never measure up. Maybe you remember the gossip that you heard, whether it be at school or college or as an adult. So here's how you measure the weight of a word. It's, a, it's math, all right? So our math people, you ready for this? All right, we're going to do a little math. It's simple math, don't worry. The weight of a word is measured by who 
plus what equals the weight. Who said it? What was said will equal the weight it will have on your life. So if a random stranger, for instance, came up to me and said, hey, Andy, um, I want you to know something. I was like, okay, what, what's up? Your face is ugly, all right? I'd say, oh, okay. Like if I was just in the parking lot at Walmart and someone came up to me and said, your face is ugly. I'm like, all right, I got to get into Walmart real quick. This is weird, right? It wouldn't have much weight. I might laugh at it later on. But if my wife woke up one morning and turned to me and said, Andy, I have something to admit to you. Your face is ugly. I'm going to be honest. That's going to mess me up a little bit. And she's never said that, by the way, all right? But, but you get what I'm saying. It's who plus what was said equals the weight of the word. You know what I love about God? God is the most powerful. There's only one God. He knows all things, right? He's, a, he's everywhere at once. You know what God has said about you? God has said about you that he is for you and not against you. That when you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's pretty weighty, isn't it? It's huge. Who plus what equals the weight? Research has shown, though, that what we say needs to be overwhelmingly positive and constructive. Research has shown that it takes more positive words than negative for a person to feel built up than corrective, even corrective or non-corrective negative words. Researchers have shown that the ratio of positive to negative needs to be at least five to one. I think that might even be a little outdated. I've heard uh, now just with mental illness and mental health issues, it could be up to seven to one. This means that for every one negative feeling or interaction between people, there must be five positive feelings or interactions, which means this, stable relationships, this is not rocket science, but stable relationships are more positive than they are negative. Just as it takes weeks, months, and even years to build gigantic buildings, we can know it could fall in an instant. So it is with our words. It takes years, long years maybe, to develop trust, to develop those foundations, but yet it takes one word, just one word, to implode it and maybe implode it all. Who plus what equals the weight? It's so much easier to tear somebody down or something down than it is to build something up. Your negative words are cheap. It does not take anything. Anybody can tear somebody down, but it is someone with character, and it's someone with the heart of the Lord that can truly build something up and build somebody up of eternal value. You would think that as Christ followers, though, that we would have our tongue under control, right? <laughs> right? Oh, I, if we had a little applause line, that's where you know, you'd laugh like at a sitcom, right? But from the early church, we are told our tongues are out of control. The very first book that was inspired by the word of God, the book of James, we believe, is the earliest book written in the New Testament. It's not the earliest chronologically, but it was the earliest that the Holy Spirit inspired. James chapter 3, verse 10 says this. First book written to the Christians of our instruction. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. From the very onset of the early church, they were praising Jesus. They knew the right things to say about Jesus. But when it came to the people of God talking and, and interacting with one another, it was cursing. And James was saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and for our instruction this morning, it ought not to be this way. How could that happen from the same mouth? But it does. 
There are so many toxic friendships and even marriages that have the positive to negative ratio flipped this morning. You're seven or maybe 70 words of negative and, 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 and destructive words to maybe you're one, oh, that was nice. And we wonder why maybe friendships or marriages or, or, or workplace uh, environments uh, can be so destructive is because the equation is flipped. And it's not just that. The problem is we talk a lot too. Now for some of you are like, I'm introverted, I don't talk. You still talk a lot. The range is this. In any given day, you'll speak between 7,000 and 20,000 words. In a lifetime, the average person will speak just short of a billion words. And yet, it only takes one word to tear something down. Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. Every word in our mouth has the potential to carry some very, very heavy weight. Words are powerful. Your words are not meaningless. They matter. And your friends are listening. Our almighty God is listening. Alexa is listening. <laughs> and your kids are listening. Your family are listening. Your coworkers are listening. Those who don't know Christ, they are listening. You have no idea how powerful your words are to build someone up or tear someone down. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Ephesians 4. As I mentioned, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. If our words tear, can build up or tear down, uh, we want to make sure that we're building up. We're building up uh, and finding what's excellent, as, as Paul told the uh, Philippian church. But we also, uh, we, we, all, we also know that we iron sharpen irons, that, uh, that we encourage one another, which means we build up even when we may be wrong, we lovingly build up each other. So we want to have the right words. So... We're going to look at three ways to have right words. The first one is this. If we're taking notes. The right words come from a renewed mind. The right words come before you even speak it. They come from a renewed mind. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Paul talking to the Ephesians church who undoubtedly had issues with their language and it was being renewed. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord... You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity from the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Sounds like this was written in 2023, right? Sounds like the things that culture is championing, right? Paul is speaking to the Ephesians church by the authority of, of the Lord. We see here, I testify in the Lord that as Christians, we're to no longer walk as the Gentiles. Now, we don't really call people Gentiles anymore, right? People don't go to church, oh, you're a Gentile. No, no, what a Gentile was was someone who wasn't of Jewish descent. A Gentile, by default, would have practiced paganism. They would have practiced the worship of many gods. Today, we have people that worship the many gods. Uh, they, they place things where God should be, and that becomes a god to them. We have people that claim there is no God. Uh, we have people that are uh, in, in New Age spirituality. And we have a whole New Age spiritual market downtown. It's alive and well here in Kenosha. What I want you to know is that that's what the Bible would call Gentile, a non-believing person. We are to no longer walk as the Gentiles, which means the Ephesians church was once unbelieving. They would have walked in this way. And he says you were to walk. Now walk is a biblical word meaning the way that you go about life. 
So if I were to ask you, hey, how's your walk? You might be confused and think, well, I guess I took a walk around the block. It was kind of nice outside. That's not what I'm talking about. How is your way of life? Is it reflecting a life in Christ or does it look like a life that is apart from Christ? So he wants them to walk no longer as Gentiles. He wants them to walk in a way that is different. When you place your faith in Christ, you become a new person. Uh, you be, it, your status changes. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, when you tell Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be the savior of my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want to follow you now. You positionally change from being dead in the Lord to alive in the Lord. The spirit of God comes in you. You become alive. But that's just the beginning. Even though you may be saved, as we talked about last week, the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is for you to grow. And so we are to no longer walk as the way that we used to walk. And that means we are to behave differently. And this affects how you speak. And this affects how you treat others. Uh, this affects how you think. A person without Christ is described by Paul here as being futile and their, their thoughts are foolish. Maybe some of your translations uh, uh, state. Their thoughts are alienated from God. So Paul was warning the church, do not fall back into the former way of life. For when your thoughts are not in the truth of the Lord, they become darkened in understanding. God is light, Scripture says. But when we are not guided by uh, the revelation we find in the Scriptures, we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit instead of our own power. We will be darkened in our own understanding. Oh, yes, we will think we are wise. Oh, yes, we will, we, we will have camaraderie with a world that doesn't know Christ. But the Bible says it's darkened. And we are to be renewed in our minds when we become followers of Jesus Christ. But when we decide to live in a darkened understanding, and church, I want you to know, increasingly we are seeing, even last week, uh, some major evangelical voices have been drifting and have, have, have proclaimed different things. You're darkened. Just because that you say that you're a pastor or, or part of an evangelical church or you tote around a Bible, the question is, are you believing what it says and are you walking in what it says? Because if you don't, verse 19 says, the result is foolish thinking. A callous heart. A callousness meaning that the more you do it, the less it's a big deal. And then a life that is turned over to what we see here is promiscuity, greed, and impurity. All this is lodged in the heart. What God came to rescue you from, people are putting back into their hearts. Now, what's this have to do with words? What does is, what is promiscuity, greed, and impurity have to do with the words? Jesus made clear why this has everything to do with our words. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Uh, the, the, the Jewish laws, a lot of the man-made laws were like, they were trying to judge Jesus because he was eating certain things, eating on certain days. He's like, why are you judging me for what I eat? It's going to be gone tomorrow, but I'll tell you what does matter. It's not what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and it defiles a person. From the heart, evil thoughts, murders, idolatry, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Now, kids, if your mom tells you to wash your hands, still do it, okay? 
But people thought while washing their hands, like, all right, cleanliness is godliness. No, Jesus is saying that's not in the Bible, right? The heart and mind are synonymous. The right words come from a renewed mind, a renewed heart. And it's so important to take off the old way of thinking. We need to take out the old. Ephesians 4, 20 through 22. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him or taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. As Christians, we are not to think and speak as we did before we knew Christ. And today, if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I want you to know that God has so much more for your life. So much more for your life. But we are to take off the former way of life that is guided by deceitful thinking and emotions. You're not to be guided by those any longer. Well, hello. Uh, thank you. Wait, wait, let, me, let me demonstrate. What we have here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Don't judge my arm. All the hair burn off my arm, too, with that grill thing. All right? So anyway, <laughs> it's true. All right? <laughs> Some of us are living in our old clothes, all right? Who grew up in the 70s in here? I didn't, but I'll tell you what, you guys had some fashion, all right? Many Christians this morning are living in their old clothes. Uh, they, they, they think earthly instead of heavenly. They're driven by their earthly passions and fleeting emotions of the day. For many important decisions were guided by what seemed powerful emotions but were not of God and it's led to disaster. We are to take off the old way of life. But many of us are wearing the old way of life thinking this is, this is okay. God's okay with that. We are to think in truth. We are to dwell on the reality of Christ. Because I want to tell you when we decide to dwell on falsehood, it does something spiritually. It does something even in our own mind. It begins to rewire our minds. In fact, even in science, they've realized this, uh, that, that when we begin to dwell on uh, negative things, when we dwell on falsehoods, it rewires our brain so that our brain can jump to those falsehoods more quickly. It's why people are, are captivated and stuck into bad thinking, and we need deliverance from the Holy Spirit to rewire literally our brains. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. That is why the spiritual battle, it starts in our head. It starts in the way that we think. The enemy Attempts to fill our minds with suspicions and doubts and fears. He deceives our minds and then fools us into thinking our minds are trustworthy. That our minds are, are, are the greatest authority we can appeal to. The enemy's aim is to rework our thoughts as he works to create patterns and reactions to thoughts that will imprison us for a lifetime. He knows if he can get our minds that our mouths will be a blowtorch for his deception. The good news is this. Yes, we need to be aware of the enemy. But we don't need to be fearful of him if you're living by God's word and you're empowered by his spirit because greater is the Lord uh, than the one who's trying to terrorize us in this world, amen? Some of us are spiritually wearing the outdated clothes this morning. 
and we're living defeated. And what the Lord, uh-oh, my other, my other jacket's gone. Uh, but, what the Lord, but what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to take off the old and he wants us to put on the new. Amen, church? He wants us to live a new life. Take off the old and put on the new. Put on the new. Ephesians 4, 24. And put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and and the purity of truth. Paul's not saying that we can bring about our own salvation. Spiritual rebirth is always by what Christ did in the cross and us receiving that. It's always about grace. But we are seeing a command to welcome and embrace and live out the truth of Christ's life in our lives. And it begins in our minds. It begins in our minds and it manifests out of our mouths. Because what Jesus said, the words that come out of our mouth are a window into our hearts and into our minds. That's why it's so important for us to be guided by the scriptures. That's why it's so important for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why I, I, I recommend all of you, all right, all of you to get into that equip class. We need to be Bible Christians, all right? And by the way, I, I've said that before. That was actually, now I remember, a Dr. Haugism. So uh, I've ripped him off for years and didn't give him credit. Now that I told you a story about the Bible college president, he made that up, all right? We need to be Bible Christians, Spirit-filled Christians, ones who will not waver when culture is trying to take you out. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his book, Spiritual Depression. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. What he's saying is this in context is we often listened to ourselves. Don't get out of bed. You can't do it. Is the Lord really faithful? Is the Lord really promising? Uh, Is the Lord really gonna do that? Did the Lord really say that? Quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. I'm not talking about like, you can do it. Of course you can do it. You are strong. None of that. We don't need to come up with our own motivation or buy motivational tapes like we do that anymore, right? I'm sure Spotify has a bunch of motivational stuff like that, right? What we need is this. Speak back the truth of Jesus Christ through Scripture. When you begin to rehearse Scripture over and over and over again, oh, you go into battle and you slaying. You need to know the word of God to speak it back to yourself because we could be our own worst enemies with the words that are stuck in our head. Some of us want the power of God to rule our lives. We want to enjoy the favor that God has over our lives. But something's broken. It's your words. It's how you think. You cannot have the fullness of the Spirit in your life. You cannot have the victory of God in your life if you're choosing to go about life like you did before Christ. Receive Christ, yes, number one, but walk in Christ, it's a lifetime. You have no idea how powerful your words are to build someone up or tear someone down. So the right words come from a renewed mind. Take those thoughts captive. Secondly, the right words are true words. This is really important today. A lot of things are just said because people feel it. It needs to be true. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because you are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do the honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with everyone in need. Your words need to be from the right mind, the right heart, and they need to be true. They need to be true. You can have the right intentions. You can be very, very passionate about something and be dead wrong. It is not about your passion per se. And listen, being passionate about the right things, that's great. We should be passionate about the Lord. But passion in itself doesn't mean it's true. We're to put on the new self and meaning that we need to put away all falsehood. That is lying. Lying is believing false things and stating false things no matter the intent. And this is a really big deal. And I think Christianity, we've bought into white lies. We've bought into truth being not a huge value. We're going to spend the entire week next week on that. I'm going to entitle it Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire, all right? How to live a life in truth, okay? The way to your words. We're going to talk about lying next week. But it's in our text, so I want to deal with it a bit this morning. As Christians, the people of God, we are to forsake, number one, the pagan lie that we don't need God. That's what the Gentiles thought. Well, we don't need Jesus, right? When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're forsaking the lie that you don't need Jesus. You realize and receive your need for Jesus. But we are also to live a life in his truth. We're to be the people of God to be living in truth. Followers of Christ must be honest as we represent the truth of the Lord. Always. We need to live in a world, we live in a world that is in, of alternative facts. Right? Where, where people are like, well, if it's true to me. It might, might, might be false to you, but it's true to me. How many of you have heard that? You know, my truth, right? Or we live in a day where people want to, you know, forge their narrative or forge your narrative, right? Uh, to their ends, to their means, what makes them happy. That is not truth. Yet, that is the currency in our culture. We are to be people of truth, biblical truth, God-honoring truth. Remember, passion doesn't equal truth. There could be people that are passionately wrong. We are to be truthful to our neighbors, whether they are Christians or non-Christians. We are to be truthful to the household of God, to the, to the members of the household of God. John Stott says this, a lie is a stab in the very vital parts of the body. For fellowship to occur in the body of Christ, there must be trust that is built on truth. Many people don't want to trust God. Uh, many people uh, don't want to trust God or Scripture or the church because they want to live their version of truth. That is wrong. Truth that is withheld because of falsehood undermines godliness and it undermines Christian fellowship. When words are not true, it allows anger. It allows bitterness to set in and it opens doors for demonic activity in your life. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, be angry, do not sin, do, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. The devil comes to seek, kill, destroy, divide. He doesn't want your neighbor to come to know Christ. And he wants uh, the, the people of God to stab each other in the back with lies. So the gospel is, is put in the back seat, put in the trunk, maybe put on the curb. We have no idea how powerful our words are. They start in the mind and they need to be true when they're coming out of our mouth. 
The right words come from a renewed mind. The right words are true words. We're going to spend an entire week on lying next week. Uh, Number three. Last point, number three. The right words are graceful. The right words start up here in a renewed mind. The right words are true, and the right words are with grace. And this is important, because sometimes the truth, uh, it, it can sting, right? Uh, maybe if your spouse may have said something and you realize you hurt them, it stings. But you don't do it like, I'm going to fight you. You do it like this. Calmness, steadiness in the Lord, Right? Grace, grace. Just because you're right doesn't mean that you can be mean. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't let any foul word uh, that can be translated unwholesome, evil, come from your mouths. The word unwholesome refers to something that is decomposed. I think of milk when I think of something that's decomposed and it's putrid and it stinks. I remember one time when Graham, my, he's six now, all right, so he's not doing this now, but when he, was, uh, when, he was, when he was little and he was still in the bottle, he'd have the tendency to lose his bottle under the couch and then a day later find it and begin to drink it. And I'm amazed at how much he would get down until he realized this isn't good milk. This is not top tier, Right? This is spoiled. This is unwholesome. And depending on how much he drank, sometimes he would throw up. And this is the weight of the word of unwholesome. It should make you gag. If the word isn't true, if it's, if it's harmful, if the, if the word is unloving, it should make the hearer gag, but it should make the person speaking it gag even more. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. This applies to negative talk, tearing others down, being mean-spirited, dishonest, slander, being vulgar, and cussing. Let's talk about cussing for a second, all right? I, I've, I have a whole podcast on this. You can, you can listen to it in the Spotify exclusives on the, on the app on Kim Christian's Cuss. But let's just talk about this. It's in the text. Let's talk about it. Cussing. Um, this isn't the scope of the topic today, but let's, let's talk about it. Is it a sin to cuss? Some of you are leaning in like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Right? You're like, uh-oh. How do you know what I said in the car on the way here, right? So some say, hey, there's no list in the Bible. That's what I hear all the time. In the Bible, there's no list in, like what cuss words are. I'm like, yeah, the Bible wasn't written in English, all right? <laughs> like, anyway. Your name, your name might not be in the Bible, but it's going to be in the Lamb's Book of Life if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Like, come on. Like, we can play the wordsmith game, right? But they usually say, it's not in the Bible, you know, so you know, just, I'm, going to, I'm going to just drop some sophisticated F words. I'm like, okay. Here's the deal. And I handle this extensively in the podcast. I want you to listen to it. And I'm not trying to mock. I just sometimes people, went, sometimes some people are getting a little, you know, bougie with their cuss words. I'm like, okay, I can be bougie back. All right, so anyway, we want people to see Jesus in us, don't we, church? Right? We want to see Jesus. We, we don't want any of our words, whether it's cussing or whether it's being mean-spirited, we don't want it to hinder the gospel, right? I've heard it time and time again. Well, I just cuss because it just connects with people. I become relevant, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, they just love it how I'm just like, look, 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 here's the deal. I want to know one person that's ever said, man, I'm just so impressed with how many F-bombs you dropped tonight. Like, 
I want to go, I, I, I need Jesus, right? Zero, all right? Zero times. You want to know what gets people to Jesus? Grace, the cross, the resurrection, people seeing your mouth that is, that is just filled with praise and filled with honor and filled with, with change. So is cussing a sin? I'll give you the bottom line. Still listen to the podcast. Yep. It is, and if, you're, and if you're struggling with it, it's okay. We're not perfect people. We're people made new, but I want you to know if, when it comes to this or any other sin, I'm just going to do it. Listen, that's not God's will for your life, all right? And again, this isn't judgment, okay? I know, I know some of you, you've been cussing like a sailor for 40 years. It's tough. It's hard. You hit your hand uh, and then, with, with, the, with, the, with the screwdriver, or the, the screwdriver, hammer, there we are, and, uh, and, and something came out. Listen, you, didn't, you are not going to go to hell for that, all right? You might need to talk to God about it, but what I'm saying is your words do matter, Ephesians 4.29, screwdriver, hammering. I guess you could do that. <laughs> that would actually really hurt, but anyway. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander remove from you all along with malice. We are to be people that our words are seasoned with grace. Seasoned with grace. Ones that build up. The people of Ephesus have been in living in an environment of foul conversation. A very sexually foul conversation. Cuss words that, that, are, have, that have fallen out of usage, they had them, all right? And so I'd imagine when people from Ephesus, the Ephesus church, they went to the parties, and they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Man, what happened to him? This guy was dropping F-bombs all the time, and now he's, like, talking about Jesus? Like, what's going on here? Right? People notice your mouth. They notice what you say. And what I want you to know is this. There's nothing more powerful than when your mouth, and, I'm, and listen, if this isn't your testimony, if your mouth's always been clean, great, all right? But what I'm saying is if you have somebody where you've been, you've been, uh, gossipy, or you've been mean-spirited, or you've been four-lettering it, then all of a sudden people see a change in, in, in your mouth. You're graceful. You're loving. Uh, instead of cursing, you're praising. People are like, what happened? Can you, can, you, can you tell me what's going on? What happened? It's a beautiful thing. And this is what was happening in, in Ephesus. They're taking note of their mouths. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit to renew your mind and change what comes out of your mouth the Spirit is not some force, by the way. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. It's the third person in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one God. Right? Blows our mind, right? No matter how much you study the Trinity, it's going to blow your mind. And the, and the Holy Spirit comes to change us. But when we allow our mouth to just go, Scripture says, we see here uh, in verse 30, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves them. And not only do you, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, we see elsewhere in Scripture, it quenches the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described like a fire in Scripture. Uh, to quench a fire, uh, you need water, right? You're literally, you're literally dousing the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life when you allow your mouth uh, to have all sorts of bitterness, malice. Verse 31, let all bitterness anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Bitterness is a sour spirit. This is something that Christians, we have to deal with all the time. There are a lot of things, even in this culture, that can allow us to be bitter. 
We aren't to be bitter people. We're to be better than, 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 uh, than the falsehood, not better than other people. We are, we are to show something better, and that better isn't us. We're all in the same boat as everybody else without Christ. The better is Jesus Christ. People need to see the better in Jesus, not the bitter in you. But the bitter is a cynical outlook on life. It's a person like just throws their hands up. I can't change anything. I can't influence anything. We just better hunker down until Jesus comes back. What can I do? You can do a lot. A lot. Do not underestimate what the Spirit of God can do through your mind, your heart, your mouth. Do not underestimate the weight of your words and the weight of your influence when God is in it. Bitterness. It always is a lead weight in conversation. You know when someone's kind of bitter, someone's just kind of radiating them, like, I'm going to tiptoe around them, right? And if you're bitter in here today, you can repent. We all get bitter sometimes, right? We need to repent that. It's not a fruit of the Spirit, right? But what happens is bitterness, it might be silent. Often it begins to metastasize into anger as some bitterness comes to the surface. And anger will often be accompanied, we see here in verse 31, with shouting, loud voices that, that tell people who's boss, that tell people, this is how you've wronged me, to tell people, this is what you owe me, to tell people, you better do this or I'm gonna do this. Shouting, we live in a culture that is shouting, that is vengeful. Then it descends when you storm out of the room and you don't get what you want. Scripture says slander. Slander is when shouting recruits an army. It recruits an army to create malice. Malice is when you execute the plan with the people with whom you've slandered with to get back at the person that's hurt, that's hurt them. And it all comes from the heart and it comes through the bullhorn of our mouth. But we're to be people of grace. That means show people undeserved favor as God has shown favor to us, undeserved favor to us through Jesus Christ. Grace builds up. Grace builds up. Even when it's corrective, it builds up. And I want, I want us to look at different areas of our life this morning. Where have we been flipping the equation? Where have we been going at it with our fists instead of grace? Parents. Kids. Spouses. Bosses, employees, friends, your words matter. You have no idea how powerful your words are to build up or tear someone down. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Paul says this to the Colossians church. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So here's our take-home today. Our take-home today is this. It'll be on the screen behind me. Watch your mouth. Make sure your words are seasoned with grace. Our words by themselves don't taste very well. But when they're seasoned like a salt shaker, it brings out the taste. It brings out the grace of the Lord. Watch your mouth. Secondly, identify. Identify. Where does your mouth run you into trouble? When? Where? Why? How can you say that gracefully? How can you say that with the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm looking at people in this room that you can influence your workplace. You can influence your schools. You can influence this city. You can influence your neighborhoods in Christ. 
You don't like something that's going, going on? Christ didn't have you, have you just sit there and do nothing. He's lovingly, relentlessly, relationally wants you to be that agent of change. Identify, where does your mouth run you into trouble? Third is ask. Ask God for help. Ask God to help you. Have a good attitude. <laughs> Those things that just really bog us down, you will descend into a bad attitude. Where do I need a good attitude, God? Seek out what is sinful or negative thoughts. What sinful or negative thoughts are affecting how you speak about or to others? How are you speaking about others? Sometimes, you know, when you don't have a conversation with someone for a long time, you know it's natural to fill in that, those blanks with negativity. Have you ever had a situation where you met with somebody and, you know, it, things are rough and then it's like, okay, we, we're good now, we're good now, and everything was great. Then you go a couple months and not talk to them and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what happened? Filled in the blanks with negativity. We need to fill in the blanks with thinking the best of people and letting them know that the Lord is the one who changes our minds and hearts. We can't control people. Finally, bonus, it's not on the screen. We need to use our words to share the gospel. Who is your one that's in your sphere of influence? I believe, I'm not just saying this as a hope, it is my prayer that every single one of you in this room would have a conversation, a gospel conversation, whether you're planting the seed, whether you're watering a seed that somebody's planted, or you're somebody who's going to harvest, that you be a part of a process where people come from death unto life because they place their faith and trust in Jesus. It was awesome seeing people give their testimony last week through baptism in both services. But those individuals recently were once dead, and now they're alive. Why? Because somebody shared with them the hope of Jesus Christ. Use your words to share the gospel. So let me pray for you. I'm gonna pray that God would season our words with grace, that we would understand the weight of our words. I also wanna pray for those in this room today that maybe you don't know Christ, that today uh, you would place your faith and trust in him. Let's see what the Spirit of God will do right now. Father. We invite you, we invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to search our minds, to search um, um, everything, God. And so, Lord, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this room right now. So, Father, I pray, uh, I pray, God, that for the individuals in this room that maybe don't know Christ, in fact, continue to pray, everybody, but I want to speak specifically to those Today, you're uncertain you're going to heaven. Today, you're uncertain you have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know you cannot put on the new self without receiving Jesus. You need Jesus. You were created to know him, but your sin, going your own way, separated you from Almighty God. And there's not one good thing you can do to get to God. People try to do good things to get to God. That's called religion. And it'll tire you out. It'll burn you out. That's why a lot of people have given up on God. But that's not how you get to God. How you get right with God is receiving what Jesus Christ has done for you already. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to save you from your sins that alienate you from God. He died on the cross. He stood in your place, taking on the wrath of God. And because Jesus was perfect and sinless, he was able to stand in your place and be nailed to a cross, that three days later he rose from the dead. And the Bible says to receive the forgiveness of Jesus... You need to place your full faith and trust in him 
alone. That first, so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have eternal life. Just tell Jesus right now, I place my faith and trust in you. I want to receive you into my life. I need you to forgive me of my sins. We just tell him that right now? In fact, if right now you're receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're, or you're making sure of it, we just look up at me? I just want to see what God's doing in this room right now. We just look up at me and say, that's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to say yes to him this morning. Good. All right. Father, I pray now for the, the church. Everybody in this room, renew our minds. Renew our minds to where our words that come out are your truth. They're in your love and they're building up. God, I pray that you unleash the influence in this room to make you famous and that people will be renewed, transformed, and reborn again into you. We pray this in Jesus' name. As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.